From the breaking of the dawn to the setting of the sun, I will stand on every promise of your word. Words of power strong to save, that will never pass away. I will stand on every promise of your word. For your covenant is sure, and on this I am secure. I can stand on every promise of your word. When I stumble and I sin, condemnation pressing in, I will stand on every promise of your word. For you are faithful to forgive, that in freedom I might live. So I stand on every promise of your word. Guilt to innocence restored, you remember sins no more. So I will stand on every promise of your word. When I'm faced with anguished choice, I will listen for your voice. And I'll stand on every promise of your word. Through this dark and troubled land, you will guide me with your hand as I stand on every promise of your word. And you've promised to complete every work you've begun in me, so I will stand on every promise of your word. Hope that lifts me from despair, love that casts out every fear, as I stand on every promise of your word. Not forsaken, not alone, for the comforter has come. And I stand on every promise of your word. Grace sufficient, grace for me, grace for all who will believe. We will stand on every promise of your word. What powerful words. Remind us that through every step of our lives, we can rely on God's promises through his word. Promises to forgive, guide, strengthen us, provide wisdom. It's these promises and many more found within the Bible that justify Jesus' declaration in Acts 4.4 that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's this declaration that's backed up throughout the scriptures that speak to us of the absolute importance of God's word in our lives. Words that should flow through every part of our being. And it's that we're going to be diving deeper into together this morning as we focus on what it means and what it looks like to be devoted to the Word of God. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Carl. Uh, I have the joy of being part of, of this church family in New Life Community Church, uh, and also being part of the team that looks at, uh, looks at worship across all of our sites. And this morning, we're on our second installment of the Discipleship Series. Our goal for this series is to help every believer grow into greater maturity in their relationship with Jesus. We want to be a church family that is deeply rooted and standing firm in the goodness of God. That when the storms of life come, we will not be swayed to the left or to the right, nor uprooted, because we are a church family that is firmly secure in Jesus. Last week, we focused the series and started the series on the devotion to Jesus, our Saviour. He's our example and the ultimate one who we should give our full devotion to. He is our biggest motivation for growing our roots deeper in our faith, the aspiration for our spiritual maturity. And as we seek to do that, we in turn will seek to devote ourselves to the core fundamental aspects of what it looks like to be a disciple, those things that Jesus modelled himself while here on earth. 
And over the course of the coming weeks, we're going to be focusing on prayer, relationship, service, growth, and mission. Today, though, we're focusing on the importance of being devoted to the Word of God. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into this. Lord, we thank you for your, your glory, your magnificence. We thank you for your word that's freely available to us here today, that we might know you more, that we might love you more, and understand what it is to be followers of you. Lord, I, I just want to pray for your help, to, for me, Lord, just to be able to communicate the words that you've given me this morning. And Lord, that for each of us, we'll just have our hearts open to hear what you want to say. Come and speak to us, Jesus. In your name. Amen. When my wife Beth and I started seeing each other, much of our relationship was developed at a distance. This was before the days of WhatsApp and Messenger and unlimited text on your mobile contract. MSN was probably the only messaging service that existed. Anybody, anybody remember that? We did have email, though, which was probably just as well, because if it had been down to writing letters, I think there could have been quite an abrupt end to something that was quite beautiful, because apparently my handwriting is completely illegible. <laughs> but as our friendship grew, it was these series of emails, some long, some short, that gave us a way of connecting with each other. Contained within those messages were our stories, our hopes, our dreams. And as we read more, we wanted to find out more. Who was this person that God had brought into my life? What do they love? What do they value? What do they long for? And what part of my future might they play? Might they shape? In the moments when we weren't together in, purpose, in, in person, these messages became the source of connection, of joy, and even study, kind of rereading the email trails, trying to read between the lines, eking out every last ounce of meaning, intention, and life from those words. To anyone else, the emails might have been an interesting read, uh, might have given a bit of insight into our lives, but they wouldn't have had the same meaning. They wouldn't have the same value, treasure, and beauty that Beth and I received. Those words were our connecting point in our relationship. They drew us closer to each other and set out the foundation for our lives together. The Bible is a divine message, direct from God to his people, his bride, the church. It's not just a collection of ancient texts that tell a story of God and his people. It's the living and breathing revelation of who God is, his will for our lives, and the promises he makes to all those who believe in him. In John 8, 31, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So it's clear that following on from last week's encouragement to be devoted to Jesus, that being devoted to his word is to be devoted to Christ himself. It's a way of drawing closer to him, understanding his character, and conforming our lives in his image. And whilst for anyone who's starting out on their journey with Jesus, reading the Bible may reflect some of the experience that Beth and I had in those early emails, the scriptures that we look at today provide a very clear intent, purpose, and desired applications to the words that God gave the writers. God's word has a power like no other words put to paper. A power that transforms lives forever, impacts generation after generation, the fortune and very existence of nations. 
So to help anchor ourselves in the significance of God's word for our lives, we're going to start by looking at 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul here is writing to Timothy, and, and Paul was facing imminent death. And he strongly urges Timothy throughout this, this letter to carry on in the ministry, to guard the gospel. And he reaffirms the credibility of the scriptures and what God's purpose is through it by saying that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In the New Living Translation, it says that all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Contained within that short sentence are six key points key factors that I felt God called out to me. The first is all scripture. All scripture is God-breathed, inspired by him. And it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. So the first point that Paul makes is that all scripture is God-breathed and useful. Paul doesn't say that some of the scriptures are given by God or that certain parts are more useful for believers than others. No, all scripture has been given to us by God and has a purpose in our lives. In our call to a deeper walk and growing in maturity as believers, this means studying the whole of the Bible is key to understanding the whole picture and receiving the fullest revelation of God's character and his will for our lives. Now, for anyone who has been following Jesus and reading the Bible for a while, you'll know that some of the parts of the Bible are a little bit easier to read and understand than others. And that's often why when we have new believers and, and we're starting afresh, we kind of look to the Gospels and the Psalms. They're the parts that feel easier to engage with. But as we see in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 2, in 1 Peter 2, 2, and in Hebrews 5, God's desire for his disciples is not to feed just on milk forever, but solid food. He wants to see a desire for deeper teaching, seeking a deeper revelation that we might savor it, that it might be sweet like honey. It may become our very life and equip us with the power of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The second point Paul makes is one that we've already touched on, but is that all scripture has been breathed out or inspired by God himself, speaking directly to his people through those who put pen or some ancient alternative to paper, scroll, or stone tablet. The Bible, in, in all of its translations, languages, and forms, is not merely a collection of ancient texts or human-led ideas and thoughts but a perfectly crafted and fully intact message from God to reveal himself, his character, purpose, and will to us. And when we open his word, we're opening a direct line of communication with our creator. It's this reality that also means that thousands of years after those original words were recorded, they still have the same impact, purpose, and transforming power for us today. In Hebrews 4, we read that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. 
It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible is not just the words of God to his people, but the active, always up-to-date manual for our lives and sets a standard to which God wants all his followers to aspire to. And because God himself is eternal, then his word is also eternal. Those truths that are contained within the scriptures that we hold so dear were founded before the earth was formed. And as Matthew wrote in chapter 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The significance of the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's irrelevant today as it was for the early believers. That's why we can trust it and we can take comfort in it. Never doubt it. Those final four points that Paul drew out um, in terms of God's word is is more of a practical application of of how, how we might use the word of God in our own lives and as a support for those that we are serving, being in community with and reaching out to in prayer that they too might recognize Jesus as the one who saves and gives eternal life. We're told that all scripture, which is inspired or breathed out from God, is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. The Bible is the ultimate source of truth. It teaches, it provides us with instruction, with knowledge, wisdom, and guidance. It teaches us about God's big picture plan for his creation, about his character, about his power and love, as well as his standard for how we should aspire to live our lives. And as the ultimate source of truth, the Bible therefore is a powerful tool in rebuking, rebuffing, or calling out the things that are false, that are wrong, and misleading. Provides a source of correction in clearly calling out the things that God does not deem to be right, good, or acceptable. And nowhere is this clearer than the core narrative written throughout the Bible of sin. <laughs> throughout Scripture, God makes it very clear that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And that even though we may believe, we still have the tendency to fall back into our fallen nature. And sometimes we do conform to the patterns of this world rather than being transformed in our minds to the pattern that God has set out for us. God paints a very real picture about what sin is, what it looks like in our lives, and how he cannot look upon it apart from through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. But God's word is transformative. It not only identifies our faults, but it equips us to make the changes in our lives to live a better way. One that is more glorifying, fruitful, and purposeful. And even within this, we see something of God's character. When God rebukes and corrects us, he doesn't act in condemnation. He's not heavy-handed. But rather, out of love, he graciously shows us the way that he wants us to walk. We see that in John chapter 8 when we read about the woman caught in adultery. In the midst of what the Pharisees had set up to trap Jesus, he shows grace and love 
Yes, what the woman had done was not right in the eyes of God, but Jesus understands the reality that no one except himself is blameless. He did not condemn, but he offered the correction and direction to go and sin no more. The last point Paul's make is that the continued nurturing and anchoring in the word of God keeps us on the right path. To be trained in righteousness is to learn how to be right with God, to walk in step with his plan, character, and purpose for our lives. It also points to using the scriptures to train others in our care or concern about the right way to live, that they too may be able to discern well between good and evil. And across those four attributes, there seems to be an element of kind of matching and balance between them. We see that the word of God is useful for teaching what is true and calling out what is wrong. It has the power to correct us when we are wrong and train us in the right way to go. It's complete. It's balanced and equips us to be complete followers of Jesus able to carry out every good work that he has planned for us to do. In Psalm 119, we read between verses 97 to 105, and it gives us a really helpful outworking of those points that Paul's just raised here. It starts with a clear sign of devotion. How I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. We then see how that constant Meditation brings wisdom, insight, and understanding. It keeps their feet from walking in disobedience, provides the ability to keep the law, gives a sense of joy and sustenance, and equips with a deep level of understanding. That means walking in the wrong direction is just met with a sense of hatred. We also get that beautiful image of God's word being a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. An image of dependency on his word as a light that guides our lives, both right here, right now, immediately in the path where we're placing our feet, but the, the future, the way ahead, the path around us. Provides us with guidance in our daily lives, wisdom to make the right choices, and strength to overcome the challenges we face. When we immerse ourselves in the word of God, we find answers to life's questions, comfort in distress, and hopes of time of despair. And Jesus himself was a very living embodiment of the word. It sets out the example of what devotion to it should look like for us. He's described in John 1 as the word. He is the word from the beginning of time. He was with God the Father. That through him all things were made, they have life, and he brought light that may overcome the darkness. We know then that Jesus became flesh, dwelling among us here on earth, the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, who devoted his time here on earth to teaching and bringing the word of God to life. Throughout his ministry, Jesus used the scriptures to testify about himself, God's will, his plan, and his purpose for his people. His full knowledge of the word enabled him to teach, to rebuke, to correct and train in righteousness. And he's left all of that wisdom, knowledge, and understanding within the book that we read today. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, we see Jesus pointing to the will of God for his believers, how Jesus is the source of the word, 
He teaches that he's become the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. And he taught how, about how to live life today that glorifies God in the present age. And he also urges his followers to put their hope and motivation for living in the realms of eternity. In Acts chapter 4, we see an example of where Jesus used the scriptures to rebuke and stand firm to what is true. Jesus has spent 40 days in the wilderness. Fasting, he was hungry. And on three separate occasions, the devil tempted Jesus to use his power for his own good. But each time, Jesus responds, no, for the scripture says. The scripture says that people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The scripture says that you must not put the Lord to your God to test. And the scripture says you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus also taught in John 6.35 that I am the bread of life, that whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. To be devoted to the word of God is to be fulfilled, to be filled and satisfied. Looping back to that earlier point on milk and solid food, a full and balanced diet of the word will lead to our spiritual growth, maturity and complete satisfaction in Jesus. If we are devoted to the word, we will never be hungry, we'll never be thirsty and search for fulfillment in things outside of him. I thought it was also really interesting to see the sequence of Scripture played out in, in, in the disciples, in the early followers, and particularly in Acts chapter 2. We read that the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and to prayer. And what made this particularly significant for me is that passage comes just after the Holy Spirit had come upon the early believers. It could have been easy to assume that now a new means of direct connection between God and his people had come, that in some way that might have superseded the importance of study of the word. But no, right after the Spirit falls upon that people, Peter and the 11 other apostles stepped forward and they preached the word. They expanded on the fulfillment of the Old Testament and called believers into action. Being filled with the Spirit is not an alternative to studying the Word, but being filled with the Spirit leads us to devote ourselves to the Word. Those early followers we heard were inspired by the Spirit. They were just that sense of anticipation to hear the words that the apostles were teaching was heightened. So what does it look like for us to be devoted to the word today? What practical steps might help us take that next journey forward in our growth and maturity in Jesus? And, and how might this benefit those that are around us? For me, there's three broad characteristics or areas that, that bring devotion to God's word to life uh, to us, bring it to life for us. A study, obedience, and sharing or teaching. I think these cover the full flow of God, what God wants from us. 
to know him, to know his will for our lives, to walk obediently in that, and then to encourage others around us to do the same. So let's start by looking at study. Regular connection with the word is the fundamental key to growing a deeper understanding, to staying in step with God's will and equipping ourselves for task in hand. Without that, we're like a climber who does not put protection in the rock at regular intervals. The further they move away from that last piece of protection, the more likely they are to go off track. And the consequences of falling from there are going to be a lot more severe. They don't have the support and guidance of the safety system that is there for the very intention and purpose it was designed for. Regular connection with the word of God keeps us anchored to the rock of Jesus Christ. That even if we might fall at some point, we are secure and safe within his covering. I think sometimes also it's too easy for this regular connection to become a bit of a habit, something that we're reading regularly rather than intentionally seeking to read and to listen from God. Just like, like I look forward to, to reading that next email from Beth when we were dating and anticipating what it might say and what I could glean from it, we should be coming to God's word with an attitude of wanting to hear, to listen, to learn and understand, not just tick a box. I've done my reading for today. On top of our regular connection, a deeper study is vital to growth. And doing this with others is a particularly great way of being able to do that. It helps us deepen our understanding of the word and its application to our lives. Our Sunday services and life groups are a great opportunity to do this. But there's also online communities that can, you can join in or guide you individually. It might help to think about or pray through a specific topic or area or book that you'd like to delve deeper into. Set yourself a goal and explore it. And reflect on what you've learned and how you might apply it to your life. The family setting is also a brilliant space to instill a deeper relationship with the word together. And there's the idea of generational faithfulness that comes throughout chapter 2 of Timothy. We read that Paul reminds Timothy about the, the faith of his grandmother and his mother, which in turn led to his faith. And towards the end of chapter, at towards the end of the chapter, Timothy, uh, Paul reminds Timothy to continue in what he has learnt and firmly believes in, knowing that it's the true word of God that he has been taught from generation to generation that he can pass on to the next. So I didn't explain that bit very well. <laughs> and while nothing replaces connecting to the word of God through the Bible itself, there is an increasing amount of complementary ways to connect with the word. Um, one, of the, one of the directors at work, who I pray with quite often, tells me that he listens to the word through an audiobook when he's walking his dog and when he's running. And we quite often share what he's, what he's been listening to and pray about that together uh, before work. And one of the benefits of being a church that meets in multiple locations is that we get to hear different perspectives on the same passage or subject from our brothers and sisters 
And aren't we blessed with people who are just such great lovers of the word and great teachers? That means if you get the opportunity, you can listen to at least two other versions of this message from other people today and probably gleam a lot of things that I have not been able to cover this morning. So that's study. The second characteristic is obedience. I think this is really fundamental to growth, maturity in discipleship. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in 1 John 5, we read, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And a reminder that his commandments are not burdensome. At the end of that passage in Psalm 119, we looked at just a moment ago, we've also got verse 110. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Committing words to memory, treasuring it in your heart, and carrying it with you day by day equips you to withstand the challenges of the world. Keeps us in line with God's desire for our lives. In Joshua 1.8, it urges us to keep this book of the law always on our lips, to meditate on it day and night, so that we may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you'll be prosperous and successful. <coughs> and we see that link from obedience to the word of God and blessing elsewhere in the Old Testament too. We're told that the gracious hand of God was on Ezra, one of the key high priests who led parts of Israel back from exile. And we're told that the gracious hand of God was on him because he had determined to study and obey the law of God and then go on to teach the decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. The aim of our study and devotion should not simply be to know more about God, but what it means for us in our lives and to put it into action. Obedience is a sign of being transformed, becoming more like Christ, standing firm against temptation. Obedience brings us closer to God. We're more trusting in him and in his ways and allow him to carry out his plan and his purpose through us. And perhaps the biggest example of obedience from God's word is Jesus himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when faced with the pain and anguish of the cross before him, despite his cry to the Lord for the cup to be taken away from him, he knew that he had come to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He knew that he had come to restore God's people back to himself and to make a way for all people to be part of his kingdom. Doing the will of his father was the right thing to do. And through that obedience, we are all here today, saved from the consequences of our sin and with the hope of eternal life. Hallelujah. And the last attribute of fruit of devotion, or fruit from the devotion to the word, is that out of the overflow of our study and obedience, is the ability to influence and impact the lives of those around us. The Hebrew word translated from teaching that Timothy uses in, 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 the, in, the, in our passage today from the NIV includes not only the idea of education, the kind of idea of formal teaching, but also training and application. It includes all the ways that we might share about God's word and encourage others with it, with it as well as encourage others to follow it. 
Jesus' ministry was devoted to teaching and imparting God's character, purpose, and will for our lives. Some of this was done formally in big gatherings, using pictures and stories which have now become a significant part of our study. But he also carried the word through every interaction with others, showing love and grace, correction and rebuke, wherever it was needed. In 1 Peter, we're reminded to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We're also warned in 1 Timothy about the rise of false teaching in the end days. And as those end days approach, I can see a growing need for the church to stand firm on the true word of God, to rebuke false teaching, and particularly to prayerfully guide and lead those around us who may be seeking or being led astray by those false teachings back to the correct path. And what a blessing it is to share the truth, to share an encouragement with others, and to see lives transformed. That's what we're about. That's why we're here. And as we grow in our knowledge and obedience to the word, then our next step in maturity is to do more with it, to start having a bigger impact in other people's lives and a heart to see those around us transformed by Jesus. This might look like sharing a word of encouragement here on a Sunday in a small group or with those you're with, encouraging believers to keep hold of the faith, to stay on track and spur them on to good works. And it also be to sharing the word with people that God's put in your heart or put in your lives who are seeking or lost and need to know the truth. Parents, <laughs> speaking to myself here, one of the greatest gifts and responsibility of having children is to bring them up in the way of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 18 finishes with this encouragement so to commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land that God has given you. day-to-day study of the word together as a family is such a powerful and important part. And as we grow, we can equip those around us, whether we have children of our own, those that God has given us as spiritual sons and daughters to, to support and equip and mentor to. Now, as with every aspect of our lives, what the practical approach to devotion looks like for each of us will just depend on where we're at in life what's going on, the circumstances, but the fruit and the outcomes of that devotion should be recognisable and consistent across us all. Ultimately, being secure and devoted to the word of God will help us both individually and collectively as a church to be deeply rooted and standing firm in the goodness of God, able to withstand the storms and trials. We can be a living, active and powerful reflection of God's character that is fully equipped to do the good works he has planned for us, bringing him honour, glory, 
And we pray a fruitful harvest in this place. I know we've covered a fair bit this morning. Some of it might be new. Some of it might just be a reminder or bringing back to the fore how important the role of God's word should play in our lives as disciples. The Bible is the essential tool for getting to know God in all its fullness and understanding his will for our lives. There are other ways to hear about God, to know about God, but devotion to his word is the only way to know him personally. The Bible shows us how to behave, to live, and react through life's ups and downs, providing the way to walk in step with God's desire for us. A full and deep understanding of God, the whole of God's word is vital for defending the faith, standing firm against spiritual attacks, and equipping us to do every good work so that we may be able to honour him and bring him glory. So as the band come back up, um, there's a few areas that you might want to consider in terms of how to respond to this. And I think they're linked to those three areas of, of study, obey, and share. You might just want to sit and reflect on these uh, independently while we go back into time of worship. Or you might like someone to pray with today. Or maybe you want to find somebody who you're journeying with and pray with them outside of the service. So in the area of study, consider how, devo- how devoted to the word of God are you? Is there something that you aspire more for? Or there are things that are holding you back from a deeper understanding of the word? Are there areas of your life that you can recognize how the word of God has helped you come in line with God's desires? Maybe this is a chance to give thanks for his word and for leading you into the path that he's called you to. Equally, there might be areas that God is calling you to surrender or to bring it in line with his plan. Can we support you in prayer for that? <coughs> would, you like be able, would you like to be able to bring a word of encouragement? Would you have someone in your heart that you want to share Jesus with and his word with, but you're feeling anxious or uncertain about how to do this? Maybe we can support you, share testimonies, and pray for you in that too. I'm just going to finish by reading those words that I started this message by again, and then we'll go back into time of worship. From the breaking of the dawn to the setting of the sun, I will stand on every promise of your word. Words of power, strong to save, that will never pass away. I will stand on every promise of your word. For your covenant is sure, and on this I am secure. I can stand on every promise from your word. When I stumble and I sin, condemnation pressing in, I will stand on every promise of your word. You are faithful to forgive, that in freedom I might live. So I stand on every promise of your word. Guilt to innocence restored, you remember sins no more. So I will stand on every promise of your word. When I'm faced with anguished choice, I will listen for your voice and I will stand on every promise of your word. Through this dark and troubled land, you will guide me with your hand as I stand on every promise of your word. 
and you've promised to complete every work begun in me. So I'll stand on every promise of your word. Hope that lifts me from despair, love that casts out every fear as I stand on every promise of your word. Not forsaken, not alone, for the comforter has come and I stand on every promise of your word. Grace sufficient, grace for me, grace for all who will believe. We will stand on every promise of your word.